Welcome to Psyche Magic, a podcast about waking up to the subconscious via our nocturnal dreams. I'm your host, Jordan Hale. I'm a psychotherapist based in Nashville, Tennessee. Together, we'll learn to befriend the unknown and her deep well of wisdom. While aspects of this podcast may feel therapeutic, it is never meant to take the place of therapy. Welcome back to Psyche Magic. Now that the days are growing shorter, the deepening of the darkness is bringing my dreams to spectacular saturation. Last night, I dreamed I saw a light show in the sky with a kaleidoscope of colors and an impressive collection of ancient symbols. My attention had to be drawn to this by someone else in the dream, as I had initially been too distracted to notice. I hope to deepen and recommit to my dream work this season, and I hope you'll join me. Oh, what wonders await us if we can only carve out the time to be still and listen carefully. I hope you all will stay tuned and join us on Patreon as I plan some exciting group dream work challenges in these upcoming shadowy months. I've got some news I wanted to share. I was recently diagnosed with ADHD and starting my course of treatment and knowledge building has been pretty earth shattering. I'm looking forward to learning more about how my ADHD brain works so that I can better accommodate myself and my neurodivergent friends, family, and clients, both consciously and subconsciously. It truly feels like joining a family I didn't know I had. It feels like coming home. Speaking of ADHD, and based off of my fabulous conversation with today's guest, I want to highlight an aspect of Carl Jung's work that can be notoriously tricky to pin down, his groundbreaking concept of archetypes. Jung's writing can be quite meandering. I've sometimes wondered if he could have been a fellow neurodivergent. And one challenge I enjoy is trying to make his concepts more digestible, straining them through a more modern feminist sieve, if you will. As a side note, I did an intro deep dive about his concept of the collective unconscious in episode eight, Collective Dreams with Taina, in case you're interested. Okay, archetypes. With the help of various anthropologists, Jung spent much of his career studying the myths and dreams of various ancient cultures and discovered that there were these common integral symbols that occurred over and over again, even in cultures that were separated by space and time, devoid of contact with each other. One of these, and a personal favorite, was the archetype of the goddess dating back as early as the Venus of Willendorf, estimated to be as old as 22,000 to 24,000 BCE. The goddess is also sometimes even represented as a deceptively simple circle or womb-shaped triangle. Jung studied these phenomena and categorized them into patterns, each representing a conscious manifestation of this universal unconscious content. The archetypes also present themselves in similar ways in our dreams. We may dream of an archetype we had never had conscious contact with and discover its depth in research. In fact, this happened to Jung many times throughout his life, as documented most completely in Memories, Dreams, and Reflections. This led to his concept of the collective unconscious, this sort of psychic and eternal bank of symbol and knowledge our subconscious inherently knows how to speak. Let's look at another more modern and relatable example, that of the archetype of mother. This is a concept we can all relate to. It holds meaning too vast and varied to ever begin to quantify. It is a powerful symbol. It means something a little different to everyone and at the same time has this shared universal quality. 
It illustrates both our connection and our disparity. She contains multitudes. Mother represents a role we can step into and out of in various aspects of our lives, but she holds meaning of her own as this sort of cosmic force echoing throughout myths and stories of all ages. Archetype is transcendental. It is endless. Another great way to think about archetypes are the sort of characters we see in the major arcana of the tarot. The empress, the magician, the hermit, death, the star, the world. Each of these archetypes contains both light and shadow. As Jung said, quote, how can I be substantial if I do not cast a shadow? I must have a dark side if I am able to be whole, unquote. This is why you may have noticed I don't read reversals in tarot. My teachers illustrated for me that both light and shadow qualities are inherent in all the cards. A few of my other favorite and commonly cited archetypes include the hero, the sage, the jester, the explorer, the rebel. If you're interested in Joseph Campbell's work around the archetype of the hero and the hero's journey, I did an episode about this as well. Episode 13, The Mythology of the Wizard of Oz. One more important thing to note is that archetypes are endless. There is no definitive list. The bottom line is that if you want an understanding of them, you have to educate yourself about archetype and symbol, both in terms of their historic and cultural representations, as well as your own intuitive and personal representations, just as we might in a tarot reading. DreamWork is all about tracking these symbols and archetypes as they come up in your own dreams and waking synchronicities, which are meaningful coincidences, and getting curious about how they're functioning in your own psyche. And you know what you have me and this beautiful little community to nerd out about it with whenever you want. On that note, today's guest absolutely understood the assignment. Taylor Johnson of Simbody the Dream is an artist, a poet, a fledgling solopreneur, a freelance educator, a former high school English teacher, and a dream worker. She joins me in a rich exploration of some of her more recent big dreams with archetypal themes during this period of transition in her life. She has some fascinating dream work practices you won't want to miss. Please enjoy. All right, Taylor Johnson, welcome to Psyche Magic. Thank you for having me, Jordan. I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. Yeah, I am really looking forward to nerding out with you because, uh, yeah, we are definitely both big dream nerds and I'm just ready to go. Um, Taylor, please introduce yourself for the listeners. Tell them who you are and what you do. So my name is Taylor and I live here in Tucson, Arizona in the Sonoran Desert, which is the traditional homelands of the Tana Atom people in the Pascuayaki. And I'm sitting here in my little writing nook. I can see my altar that I've uh, dedicated to some of my wise and well ancestors on my mother's lineage, which is a beautiful window facing the east. And it has a bunch of plants and my altar space, um, just all the little flotsam from all over my life. I was born and raised in Maryland. I was actually born in D.C., but was, was raised in Maryland and on the Piscataway land. And I think as a little kid, I sort of intuitively understood that I was living in a kind of sacred place, but I just understood it through the lens of how I was raised by my mother, which was really focused on this house where we were living and her whole domestic world um, that she wanted to create for us with, with my two sisters and my dad. And... I was really tuned into the land. 
So yeah. I think where I come from is this place where land meets voice meets song meets poetry and then dreaming I think has really come in the, the sort of more recent part of my life as a way to unify all those threads. The boring part of my story, I guess you could say, is, uh, well, I, mean, I shouldn't say boring. It's more like the grounded earthly realm is, I'm a former teacher, a high school educator. Um, I'm also a mom. And I don't know, there's so many things I could say, but I'm not going to I'm not going to keep going. Well, it also just taught me so much about you that the way that you introduced yourself just now was in relationship to specifically the land and sort of all of the interconnected beings around you. Like, I just got this immediate understanding that when you're talking about yourself, it's not just me I'm talking about. I'm talking about the ways that I'm connected. And I think that's really beautiful. So thank yeah. you. Um, and we're going to learn more about what you do in this earthly realm. But I agree that dreams are the way that we tie it all together. Dreams are the way that we integrate what is internal and external and everything in between. So I love meeting people who see the world that way because I do too. And I find a lot of peace in that and joy, frankly. Are you down to do a little tarot moment? Are you down to pull a card and just see what shows up? For sure. By the way, when you were talking about your space and just like sort of living in Arizona, like the magic of the desert, and you were talking about your altar facing the east, I too have my altar facing the east in my home. And it just feels right. It just feels like the correct position. There's something about that. The air, I don't know, something. It's also the best window in my house, not going to lie. So that's a key. That's a key factor. It's a huge factor for me as well. Right. <laughs> Okay, I'm just seeing which card feels like the one. Ooh. Okay, we got two cards, actually. They both jumped out, so we're just going to do both. Okay, so we got Ace of Wands. Oh, love okay. to see it. You love to see an ace, right? That's just a good feeling. Okay, so we love an ace, and then look what else we got. We got Judgment. Oh, judgment card. Interesting. I know like big energy, right? Ace of wands and judgment. Okay. So for the listeners real quick, I like to just give a little rundown of each card. The listeners will remember we've done judgment on the show before. So it's card 20 of the major arcana. There's the sort of angelic figure in the sky blowing the horn. There are the figures in the water coming out of these little, like little individuals sort of baths or coffins, and they're raising their arms to the sky and they're nude and they're just open, listening, receptive. There's a joyous like quality to the card and then ace of wands is so this is a hand reaching out holding on to the wand which is the symbol of creativity and spirit and fire and so there's a castle in the background there's kind of a, a rich landscape with a river but then it's just like the focus is on this hand just holding that wand okay what comes up for you about these cards what are some of your associations what's happening right now <laughs> so much when you pulled the wand I was like okay yeah a lot of times I'll pull ace of cups which I love but the wand is super appropriate I was at my alt my other altar my bedroom altar this morning and just you know stirring that one awake and ringing all my bells and you know just trying to get grounded and I I have a couple of wands on my altar and I had this impulse almost to like bring one of the very unadorned wand with me to the table I didn't actually do it but I was like, oh yeah, the wand, it was really resonant with me this morning. And for me, it's about like, it's like the high priestess tool, like calling in, like I'm, I'm ready. I want to create, I want to, I want to channel something through me. And then when I heard the judgment card, it was like, oh yeah. Okay. One of the questions or one of the thoughts that I had when I was thinking about this this morning, I was thinking about like the question of purpose and initiation do we create our own initiations or do our initiations find us? And I think that's what the judgment card for me is right now is like, I'm trying to call in through my high priestess energy, like, yes, I want to sign. I want, I want to move forward on this new path. I want to create something and take that intentionality in a direction. But I feel like judgment is really where I find myself most of the time now. And it's a very like 
open-hearted, open-handed, open-faced sort of, please show me a direction, please show me where I meant to go, what I meant to do. And there's the kind of vulnerability in that, like waiting for the universe to open its hand and it's kind of terrifying, but it also feels like, well, that's what I asked for. I asked for an initiation, so I better be ready for whatever comes. And it's that in between of wanting to step in, but also wanting to be yes. doing it in the right way and be in it like guided, not just boldly choosing when it's not really the right thing. And it's terrifying because like, what if what I'm asked to do isn't what I <laughs> was ready to wand up for, you know? Exactly. Yeah. You're talking about this just ever present tension when you're trying to live your life in sort of this aligned way of action versus inaction. Like when am I waiting versus when am I stepping forward? And both of these cards, you're right, are about being handed an opportunity, like invitation, that invocation. Because yeah, the Ace of Wands indicates future action like there's an opportunity there's action coming but it has to be handed to you it has to be bestowed upon you and as humans who live in that mundane world where we always ask each other first like what do you do it's like we're so used to answering questions that way in terms of like what action are you taking right now it's never like what are you waiting for how are you listening how are you responding it's like what are you doing so yeah, I think it's interesting that both of these cards speak to that. That's really mm-hmm. cool. Yeah. Yeah, the waiting thing, we, I think one of the ways we, if I recall, first connected, I think I noticed, or I said I was a projector or something, or you're a projector. Oh, yeah. Too, right? Yeah. So when I learned more about human design, I, I was like, oh, that, that whole waiting thing. And, you know, people, people have a lot of different interpretations about what that looks like and, you know how passive is that? But for me, my whole life, it's been about like, what am I doing? What am I doing? What am I doing as a teacher, as a single mom, Okay. as a fire sign? Like I'm just, I'm so action oriented. So coming into this place of like, oh, actually no, sometimes what your job is, is just to like wait and see and like be led and shown things. It's really hard for me though. <laughs> yes. Like it's, it's not necessarily the way I'm wired. It's not necessarily the thing that comes naturally to me, but it's right. part of my task. Yeah, for sure. Oh, that makes sense. That resonates for me as well on many fronts. And also it's a good segue into like a dream discussion because now I want to get more into your sort of specific uh, methods of working with dreams, but one of the real truths about working with the subconscious is that I can't will myself to have a certain experience. I can't will myself to have a certain dream. It has to be bestowed upon me and I have to be receptive and wait and listen. So, yeah. So I think that your inclination to work more with dreams, it makes sense that that will help you build that. It helps all of us build that skill set. I don't know. Just felt like I needed to say that. Yeah, thank you. That's a good reminder. <laughs> it is. It, it it is very much like that for me. Like I, I know there's a lot of people that like to incubate dreams, and you know, I think that's great. I've found early on that for me, it is really just about waiting. I don't like to sort of say I want to have a dream. I tried that for a while, but I yeah. sort of stopped. It didn't feel like a fit for me. I just mm-hmm. like whatever comes, I'm ready for it. Yes, because my understanding about dream incubation is that it's really just about that intention of like, there's something that I want to understand better and just letting that, I mean, the word is incubate, which is the perfect word. Like it's letting that intention grow and form over time, but it's not necessarily going to be this cut and dry. Like I asked for this, so now I'm going to get it right away (laughs) process. It's just not the way that spirit works. (laughs) Yeah. At least, at least not in my experience. <laughs> okay, so let's talk about your dreams, Taylor. So you shared a couple of different dreams with me that were extremely powerful. And so I'm going to let you just go where you feel guided to go right now. So if there's a dream you want to talk about, if there's a theme you want to talk about, let's just let the conversation unfold. Okay. Well, the dream I had shared with you, because I was ruminating on it, I picked it synchronistically because it, a lot of times I'll go back and look at the date of a dream and the date of this podcast was exactly a month after I had this dream. 
And it was one of those dreams where I really didn't know what it meant. And I kind of still don't. And I'm pretty good at working with my own dreams because I've developed a bunch of like, you know, auto methods that I use for working with myself. But this dream I called the samurai. And there was this very (laughs) central character that I knew in the dream was, was a samurai. And the striking image of like the central image of the dream was of this man's chin hairs. He had these like black wiry, like single, it wasn't like a full beard. It was just like a few hairs that were hanging down. They were really long and they were each connected to these several long, colorful scrolls that had some kind of art on them. And the scrolls were all hanging just like parallel down, like in a big cluster, almost like pages of a book, but they were suspended from his beard hairs. Yeah, he was the samurai. And there was this whole interaction between us where initially he was encouraging me, but I didn't really know who he was. So somehow I wasn't that impressed by his encouragement. And then later he was running this interview and suddenly I really wanted him to choose me and want me. And there was this whole interaction where when I went in to be interviewed, he had these series of questions for me. Each of the questions, when I woke up and reflected on the interactions, it just made me chuckle because they were all things that I would say are areas of my life where I feel like I haven't quite finished something or it's working on, or I'm not fully engaged with it, or I've let things slide. And they're really important areas of my life. Like uh, one of the questions, let me see, I'm going to get this precise here. So I'm going to my my uh, Google Keep file in my phone because I do kind of a digital index of my dreams and Google Keep works really well for that. Um, so I just like type in a keyword and it searches my entire da- database of dreams and then I can find a dream. That's excellent. It's very helpful. So he asks me his questions. The first one seems to be about the depth of my involvement in activism. And I'm reclined on a chair while I answer and he sits behind me like an analyst. And I have this like desire to be really authentic, but I also want it to be the right answer so that I seem like cool or like impressive. And I tell him that I'm doing like more inner work than outer work, which feels like the wrong answer. And then the next question is about a book that someone in the waiting room has written. And she may also be a musician. And he wants to know if I've read it and I claim that I have, but I really haven't. And then the last question is, is of, I have to listen to an audio recording of an acquaintance of mine, like from my past, like ranting in this really like angry way. And I'm supposed to select a word that describes the recording. And I'm looking for a word and I can't find a word to describe it because I want to make it seem like, you know, her anger is justified but I can't find the right word. And the only word that seems to fit is writer. So I choose that. (laughs) And then the dream kind of ends with the woman who was on the recording waiting at the door to come in and be interviewed. And I'm feeling kind of rushed and competitive with her. And then I sort of leave the dream with like leaving the samurai, all these love notes and trying to ingratiate myself with him. Mm. But ultimately, I leave on this AC repair truck driven by a man whose son is dying. So there's a lot. I know. I know. Okay. I would love it if we could start with, I don't know about you, but one of my favorite ways to break down a dream is through like snapshots of visual moments, Mm -hmm. like almost like stills from like a film, you know, arts. Yes, like tarot cards. Ah! Okay, so one of the stills that really pops out to me is the first one that you described, which is that image of this man's chin, like his like beard, like his chin. So I wonder if we can just kind of play with that image and with associations that you might have around that image. There's something about it that feels almost like archetypal or collective of like this sort of wise, powerful man and his beard is like symbolic of that, but also of his creativity. So I talk about that image a little. Let's just see what comes up. Well, I I know this is an audio podcast, but I I did make like a crappy little collage of this is cool. I'll yes, I'll I'll link to this. This is beautiful. I do that sometimes just to anchor. 
So the funny thing, this is kind of embarrassing, but, and I, just the other day I did some research because I had a different dream about, I was lecturing to some students about Muhammad and I somehow screwed up the information or I said something that was offensive and some students left the rooms. They were really like disgusted by how I had messed up. So when I woke up from the stream, I was like, you know, I really don't know that much about Islam. I don't really know that much about religions like beyond Christianity. Not that I, I mean, I wasn't raised Christian, but my, a lot of my family was. Yeah. So I did some research and just like learning. And it was yeah. so fascinating to do all this learning. So something similar happened with this dream where I was like, I thought I didn't know what Asian traditions samurais were. Yeah. So I was like researching it and I realized that samurais are Japanese and and they also have a tradition of scrolls. And I was like, oh, I would have guessed like Chinese. And I was I felt so dumb, but somehow my subconscious or whoever was supplying me with this information in my subconscious was giving me these Japanese traditions and so the other thing was that I've been having a lot of dreams, even before this one, that featured samurai swords, mm-hmm. like different characters that were wielding these swords. And, oh. and so I've been thinking a lot about the samurai sword, just like swords. Yeah. And for me, a sword is a kind of, um, it's like the ultimate power object for severing ties with things that no longer serve you. Okay. And also demonstrating mastery of self, you know, like a samurai feels like they're in relationship with power in a way that is very, like there's a lot of violence possible with a sword, but it doesn't feel like that's the main purpose. It's really about channeling and, and being in control of yourself. Wow. So the fact that the samurai keeps coming back, it feels like I'm being asked to rise up to something that I'm not quite ready for. And that's that's kind of how it felt with this samurai, because it was interesting that it, initially when I didn't really know who he was, he offered me acceptance and encouragement, but I, I rejected it. That's the other part of the dream that was so interesting to me is that, again, it's taking me into mythology where so often there's this mysterious character who we discount right? Right. Like I'm thinking, (laughs) of course, the first thing that comes to mind is not a scholarly example. No, instead (laughs) it's Disney. Okay. (laughs) So the first thing that comes to mind is beauty and the beast. And there's all the images with the stained glass at the beginning where they're telling the origin story of the beast. And he stumbles upon the old woman and he, you know, casts her aside and thinks that she's not worth um, speaking with or spending time with. And then she ends up being this power powerful, beautiful figure who then right. bestows this upon him to help him learn. Right. right so right. yeah, that, that reminded me of this type of, of figure. So please continue. Yeah. So, but yeah, the, the like specific image of the beard hairs and the scrolls. I mean, I've had dreams about books because as an aspiring writer, you know, books are a thing and yeah. I, I dream about that a lot. I also dream about musicians and being a musician a lot because I have this old (laughs) sort of secret longing to like if I could do my life over or live that alternate reality, I I would be a singer, songwriter, performer, you know, like with a guitar and out on the road. And that's actually my uh, my relationship with my daughter's father was very much based on this kind of projection that I had for that because he was a singer songwriter performer wow there's a whole story about that but yeah the the musician and the expression of voice is a huge theme in my dreams and a lot of my dreams that are about creativity and self-expression are actually more run through the image of being a musician wow so yeah but but the book imagery comes up a lot and but I just couldn't I could not figure out the attached to the beard hairs. I know. It's like what is that? Mm-hmm. Yep, cuz you mentioned that samurai 
like as an image and especially including the way that they sort of wield this weapon, this sword is all about like sort of a responsible use of power. Right. And so it's interesting to think about like the beard being a symbol of like that hard one sort of responsibility that comes with like wisdom and age and experience. And then that melding in with the way that you approach your creativity and your creative life and sort of being a samurai of your own creativity. And this figure has something to teach you about that. So going back to kind of the way that this figure changed or the way that you related to this figure differently throughout your dream. So at first you felt yourself sort of discounting him, but then there was a switch. And so then it was all about trying to impress this person. And you're seeing this other side of yourself in the dream that really wants to be seen and chosen and appreciated. I think maybe we should talk more about like that part and how you relate to that part. Yeah. I'm just curious if you have anything else to say about that. Yeah. Well, when we first meet, we're having a conversation in a room and I say it's connected to me getting something started. And then he encourages me unbidden on what I'm doing, but I don't think too much of it. But then the scene shifts and now there's an opportunity for me to get another glimpse of him, but it's in a slightly more social or marketplace based setting. Like there's hip and well-connected writers and artists at this party. So the fact that then he asks me questions that have to do with my long-term commitment Mm -hmm. to things that are about you know, my authenticity and creativity on like a purpose-driven path, which is about like a goal I'd set, you know, a long time ago and I've been working on, but it's hard work is this, you know, kind of social justice transformation. Like how can I work on myself as a cisgendered, white-bodied, heterosexual woman in a family that had huge numbers of resources to put towards me and it still support me, you know, compared to like the vast majority of people on the planet. Like I had so much going for me and it, I'm still, I still struggle with that privilege and what to do with it and how to live up to it. And so this path of activism of like trying to find a way to show up in a more concrete way for communities, it feels like something that all my life I've been trying to urge towards, but I'm also scared and I don't really know how and, and then also with the writing, I've had these writing projects going for so many years. I mean, I've had this memoir under <laughs> in the works for, I don't know, it's been like pretty much as long as my daughter's been alive, almost like maybe a little less, but she's about to turn 18. So it's just been years and years and years of me starting drafts and scrapping them and starting new drafts. And then I lose the momentum and, and then just being a writer, like showing up for myself as a writer, as a poet, as a Um, you know, I have a website now, but have I been working on my blog? No, I have notebooks full of poetry that I've never even typed up, you know, things like that. So it just feels like, you know, I say, I want to get something started, right? I quit my job and I'm, and then I'm like, I, you know, I have this YouTube channel that I started and, you know, I have my website and all these little projects that I'm working on towards being a full-time dream worker is my ideal. Yeah. And there's not a lot of momentum yet because it's just barely started. And and yet there's all these other things that are also really important to me that I haven't followed through on. So I I feel like this guy is is kind of saying, you know, he accepts me for what I'm doing. But then when I show up for the interview, he has all these really pointed questions for me about these projects and goals that I've said I have. And he's kind of like, so how about that stuff? Wow. (laughs) And I'm kind of like... Uh, like I'm sort of I'm phoning in some answers to make myself sound better than I really am or that I feel like I really am in waking life about these things but it's just weird because like again he already accepted me but it's somehow in this marketplace setting where I'm trying to be seen and recognized in this certain way and then he's asking me questions about everything but that all the stuff that I've (laughs) said is important to me but I like what am I doing Okay. That's so interesting that there was that, because I forgot that there was that scene shift in the dream where all of a sudden we're in a different environment and Mm -hmm. I'm relating to that environment completely differently. And, um, 
the thing that raises questions for me about that shift is just looking at the the very real environment that we have to work and build business within, which is a public social marketplace on the internet, right? Everyone can hear everything that I say and it's, it's there forever and it reverberates and it's a scary place to be. Honestly, it's a scary place to be. And so, yeah, this figure, because when you said like, he already accepted me, but then once I was in this context, I felt differently about that. Like there's something about like being, being seen or observed in that way that changes your ability to show up, to be authentic, which honestly makes sense. Yeah. And yes. And I, you know, I am on Instagram, like so many people, and I just, I have such attention around marketing myself. And I know it's like a newbie concern. You know, people talk about this. I mean, there's, there's a whole marketplace set up around trying to help the newbies learn how to market themselves. But I think I have maybe some hangups around that, like some false, maybe dichotomies around uh, you know, spirit-driven work versus marketing. And, you know, oh. ideally there would be something, there would be a more healthy fusion where it's like, I could just like offer, you know, and it's like if somebody needs something or wants something, then of course, like that's part of being in a marketplace is you're offering something. I think the pressure comes around just these timelines from, you know, the mundane world of, well, there's, there's practical realities like I, and I'm a very practical person. Like I've had a job for 16 plus years for a reason. I'm a single parent and I have to pay the bills and I, you know, a lot is riding on me. So it's like to walk away from all that and just be like, nope, I'm going to call in something different because my soul says I've got to do this. I'm looking at judgment as you're talking about that. Yeah. I had mentioned, maybe this will come later, but there was that other theme that's been coming up around stability and foundations. And that dream that I had recently that I had shared with you around, uh, there was this kind of four pylon structure that was like a bed. And this was a new image that had come to me since walking away from my job that was really shocking to me because it was like, oh, now you're in this new place where you feel like you have no foundation, you have no like clear income sources coming out of this business model that you're trying to track. And yet now I'm having dreams about really strong foundations uh, for this giant bed. And previously I'd been having, when I was, when I had the full-time job and I was working in the teacher and all the things that I thought was like the stable path, you know, I'm having dreams about roofs caving in and water coming in and the floor falling out and buildings collapsing and just huge like collapse destruction of foundation and roof dreams that were plaguing me for an entire year when I was like every day I was like I got to get out of here I can't can't do this anymore so this was coming up while you were deciding whether you wanted to make a change and walk away from teaching is that what you mean yeah, that, that whole semester that I was thinking, I got to leave, I got to leave, I got to leave. I'm having all of these dreams that are kind of undercurrenting that decision of like, yes, yes, you do, because your foundation is crumbling. Wow. <laughs> and when I walked away and now I'm in this like, ah, kind of zone of like, what's going to happen to me? I'm having these weird foundation dreams again that are like, nope, you're good and solid now. And it's like, I don't get it. I don't understand how that could be. Because again, my mind is still so plugged into this. Conditioned world that we've been conditioned yeah to believe in mm-hmm. I am always blown away when there's an image that starts to shift and resolve it again you're saying like we're following these long-term <laughs> like themes so in that situation you're right there's a clear correlation and it goes against everything that we've been taught under capitalism about what we're supposed to be doing and what is secure and safe. Your dream image is flipping that on its head. It's saying, okay, by going out on your own and by doing this thing that is authentic and that really like has your heart, that is your foundation. I know. 
How could that be? I know it goes against everything. It goes against everything that we're taught. Like that's not practical. Like what are what are you doing? You can't make a living like that. Why not? Why not? Everything is changing. <laughs> this, this is a post pandemic world. Like nothing, nothing is yeah, the same. It has changed a lot. It's pretty wild. Okay. The foundation is stronger now. And because I have tracked and worked with my dreams, that gives me something to sink my teeth into. Like it gives me something. And now I'm looking at the ace of wands again. Like it gives me something to trust. Yes. Trust is the word. I was doing a dog sitting gigs. It's like the gig time. Nice. I was up in Flagstaff and I was driving back to my home in Tucson and I, you know, I had to go through Sedona. I was like on the fence because I really just wanted to get home, but I was like, nah, I'm going to stop, but just find a spot. So I found this like roadside spot, like as close as I could possibly get without paying any money or going in and into any crystal shop or whatever. It was just like, let me get (laughs) as close as I can to these beautiful red rocks. And I found this spot right alongside the road. And I don't know which formation it was, but I just kind of stood there and it was the day before my birthday and I squatted down. There was some, I mean, the dust is like red in Sedona. It's really wild, like just deep iron red colors, just dust. So I scratched out the word just very intuitively, the word trust. Mm. And then I filled it in with little white stones that were in this little gravel wash. It was very intuitive. And I just kind of, it was like, I made this altar on the side of the road in front of this gorgeous vista of these incredible rock formations and like heard the wind sewing through the mountains and yeah i found a tree like on the other side of the street and and there was a sacred datura growing under there and a manzanilla which is like this red barked like native plant and i just kind of chilled there and sang a little bit and just kind of created this moment for myself but i i wrote the word trust and i i go back to that moment and i just remember like I have to choose trust because it's not, yes. it's not going to be something that the world is going to be like, yes, you're going to be able to trust. Like no one's going to reinforce that from, for me, except for me. And then who I'm tapping into as my foundation, which is my ancestors and my loved ones and the unseen helpers in the dream realm, which I know has got me. And so I'm just trying to, I'm trying to call that in, even if it doesn't feel habitual yet. <laughs> Exactly. No, I, I loved that you said that you choose trust. As a therapist, I talk about that all the time with clients is that trust is a choice. And when we talk about trust being earned, it's because that is what happens when I compile those choices over time. And I love that story. Like I I could see like in my mind's eye, like that image of your, you know, your writing and the little shells in the red dirt. It's just so beautiful. Oh, just powerful. I'm so happy for you. I'm excited for you. Thank you. New journey. Yes, it's beautiful. It really is. I mean, every day I'm just, I I try to like pinch myself and check in and be like, yeah, you're choosing this. Like, yes, you wanted this. Like, let's go. Yes. You wanted it. That's awesome. Do it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Beyonce told us to release our jobs recently. So, you know, like the, the time <laughs> has come. So good for you. Let's talk about your work. So tell us about the ways that you like to work with dreams, both personally and with clients. Like what are some of your favorite sort of practices, methods? I know my listeners are going to eat that up. And so am I. So tell us. Well, um, just like a little bit of backstory, how it started was about three years ago. I was on a a women's meditation retreat on the lost coast of California. It was one of those synchronistic things that landed in my lap and I just trusted and went for it. Beautiful. So I was out there for 10 days by the ocean, like just gorgeous. And it was a silent retreat. So I was on my own a lot. And I I didn't just like sit on the, you know, it was outside. So I wasn't just like sitting on a cushion in a meditation hall. I was like walking on the land and gathering wood and we were building altars and hot Mm -hmm. tubs at night. And it was just this incredible experience. And I just very intuitively started connecting with my wise and well ancestors on both of my sides. And I'd never really done anything like that before, but I was like, you know, I have, there's been a lot of like trauma and sadness, like a lot of people on both sides of my family, my father's mother and sister, both ended their own lives. Mm. So it was a very close and, and they did it by constricting their throats. Yeah. There was this throat chakra wound. Mm. And for me, the voice and the, the expression of the voice is like a huge thing. Like it's, 
and writing. It's all part of that. So I feel in a weird way, like I'm down lineage from this trauma of, of these artist women that ended their lives and could not speak and express. And so it feels like really wow. narrative to me to like voice and express that that's wow. flowing through. And so I was connecting with them. And then my grandmother on my mom's side um, had died of heart trouble. So I knew there was a lot of like heart stuff going on with my mother's mother's lineage. And so when I got back from this meditation retreat where I was just like totally in my element and healing and just working with myself in this intuitive way, I came across Tokopa Turner's book, Belonging. When I got back, my boyfriend was seeing a therapist. He had this book on the counter and I was like, oh, is this for me? <laughs> like I instantly wanted this book. <laughs> yeah. I pretty much read it straight through. And she talks a lot about dream work in that book. So I had remembered dreams all my life. They're peppered throughout my journals, but I never had a consistent practice. So I started really consistently working on re-remembering, like getting a practice going. And it took me about a month, but I was dedicated to it. And then now I have a practice where I pretty much remember a dream or multiple every single night because I open myself to that. And exactly. The fluency is there. Like it didn't, it used to be so hard. And now like, if it's going to be there, it's there. And I remember it and I have a practice. So when I wake up in the morning, I kind of, I keep my eyes closed. I lie in bed. I'm waiting for it. Like, is it there? I've noticed that I have this mantra that I've noticed works for me right now, where if I start reciting the mantra, it does this thing to my brain where it does this setting where it, I don't know, it, it helps me go back. There's all these tricks you can use yes. to kind of find that liminal space. So that's been working lately. The brain is an association machine. And so you build these habits and associations and you create the context that the brain needs to be able to access that information. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And it's just building those bridges. And people say, oh, I don't remember a dream. And it's like, I don't dream. That's the big one. Like, yeah, you do. You just don't yet know how to catch them. Mm-hmm. Your brain hasn't prioritized that. Right. And it, and it is like a, it is a yin practice. I mean, you have to be willing to lie in the darkness and the quiet and listen in a different way. So I roll over, I write down whatever dream I can. And a lot of times it's really fragmentary and then stuff, more stuff will come. So I've developed a whole practice around catching the dream and, and writing it down. And then I usually end up in my writing or my coffee nook with my coffee. And I always voice dictate because I have this whole backlog from about a year and a half of not transcribing the dream. So yeah. it's very frustrating to not be able to go back and, and find in my index, like, where's that dream? It's in one of my exactly. Notebooks. So I have an index now digitally that I can cross search, which has allowed me over time to track patterns. And I, one that I'd been tracking for a while now is my relationship with my dog. And I had just an incredible evolution with that dog. And it was when I search the dog, I find like it's dozens and dozens and dozens of dreams about this dog. And it's really fascinating. Whenever I have a dog dream, I'm like, oh, here we go again. But I also do a process that I, I've done a couple of YouTube videos on this on my channel. Okay. About an audio, I call it the auto audio process of mm-hmm. a dream. And basically what I do is after I have my dream written down, I will talk to myself about the dream. So I'll, I'll record myself on my phone apps and I will just talk about, okay, so I'll retell the dream and then I'll just start free associating, sort of just talking to myself about mm-hmm. the dream. and eventually I'll start stumbling into like realizations that I would probably have had if I was working with another person, like in a green circle. And I will often unpack new things that I had just not thought of. Like just the really simple step of being like, what's my association with blank? And then start talking about those associations and making those connections. And then of course, thinking about symbols There's a whole bunch of tricks and strategies that one can use that can help you start to interpret and read the dreams through the language of symbolism. Yeah, I mean, there's just this part is hard for me is like really being able to translate like what are all the specific things that I do. Mm -hmm. It's really interesting to think about how much I intuitively do now that used to be Mm -hmm. 
a lot more studied. Yes. And I do have some great teachers. I mean, I've taken a couple of classes uh, with Tokopa, for instance. She offers this great. walking class. So she gave a like, kind of an introduction to a lot of those Jungian basic symbol yes. concepts. Like, what does a car mean? What does a house mean? What does the bathroom mean? Uh, what do the colors mean? All that stuff. So, I mean, that foundational stuff, you know, mm-hmm. can be found elsewhere. But this auto audio process, I think, has been super helpful. I also love to do collages and image-based work with my dreams. And a huge thing that I do is I activate symbols by buying objects that reflect items, especially clothing. Like this hat was a dream hat. Really? Yeah, for sure. That is something that I've been learning more about is having like a physical embodied symbolic process with a dream image. I'm reading Robert Johnson's book, Inner Work right now. And he talks a lot about that. Like I'm creating a dialogue with my subconscious by acting out some element of the dream in my waking life and just letting them know that I'm listening, I'm integrating, like I'm hearing. I think that's so powerful in terms of just like the power of ritual. Yes. And it's wild too. I mean, the dream will start to, there was a plaid shirt that I bought over a year ago because I dreamed about this plaid shirt that I was trying to give this man that was my lover. I was trying to convince him to do this new job and all this stuff. And and I was giving him these plaid shirts. So I went out and bought myself a plaid and it was very much like integrating my inner masculine and had like the structure. And I, I did all this stuff. Like I, I had this chart that I was keeping that was like, you know, the plaid structure of the chart of like tracking my writing process. And I started wearing the plaid everywhere. It was like this way for me to like, you know, be more like at ease with my masculine energy. And then I would have another dream with the plaid shirt. So it's like I bought the shirt that I saw in the first dream. And then I would have another dream with me wearing the plaid or buying another plaid. So it's like the dream world is so ready to start integrating more of what you offer it. So it's like conversation. It is a conversation. I love hearing you frame it that way. Like I'm speaking back to my dream and it's speaking back to me. Yeah. And that's, that's how you evolve your symbols. I mean, my relationship with my dog started, it was actually almost a year ago to the day that I started noticing these dog dreams. Cause I have a whole relationship with my dog. He's pretty young. He's okay. pretty active. He's a, he's a very like big energy dog. Like he's a sweetheart, but he's like really a lot to manage. Okay. And about a year ago, I had this dream that we installed rattlesnake teeth in him. Mm. And I was like, why the hell would we do that? He'll bite somebody. And then the next day on my birthday last year, I had this huge incident where he like, you know, my daughter was going back to school for the first time post pandemic being at home. So we didn't have our routine worked out. And he gets really activated in the yard when she tries to leave. So he was like attacking her. Mm -hmm. And I had to run out there and grab him and wrestle him and yell and broke my nail and scratch my leg. And it's my birthday, you know, and I'm like crying in the shower because, you know, I'm, I had screamed at my dog and tough moment. It was a rough moment. And so then the entire rest of the year, I would have these dog dreams where I was like worried about getting a leash on him and controlling him. And, but then there'd be all these elements of like, oh, he's getting along with other dogs. And my dreams started showing me all these ways that maybe like, like the symbol evolved where I was in relationship to this idea of trying to control my dog. And eventually last, I think it was like right before I quit my job, I had this dream that I was, I had fallen after talking to some people at my work from like this height. And I somehow just landed on my feet and walked on this path, passed by these like graduation tents where the people that were at my school were like doing graduation ceremonies. And I was like, I'm not going to that. And I just walked down this path. There was this huge tree. I walked over its roots and this black dog joined me and just walked alongside me. And it was like, we were totally in sync and in tune with each other. And I thought to myself, this is not my dog. This dog just chooses to be with me. And there was no way I would ever put a leash on this dog. And we just walked together and it was like this powerful, like I realized that in this dream, I was having this moment of mastery around my fear of letting go of this like overactive aggression power that represented. So it's like by tracking the dog, I was able to see this evolution, which I believe then it's not just a reflection of what's going on in our waking lives. It's also like the dream world is offering us energetic downloads that then 
reverberate into our waking lives like that. I'm convinced that that dog dream has actually, it's not just a reflection of my healing. It's allowing me to continue to walk with healing around my relationship to dog power. It's like, wow, it's happening because of that dream too, not just a reflection of. Exactly. It's both. Everything that I have read and learned, I can't help it. I'm just a Jungian kind of girl. Like I sure. have been drawn to Young since I was a teenager. And I, Young says that our dreams are not wasting time telling us things that we already know. They're showing us things that we need to understand that things about our power that we haven't consciously come into. And so in that dream, it's so powerful to think about the fact that like we're back to trust, like that dream was showing the power of trust within that type of relationship. Human and dog relationship requires trust, just like a human relationship. That's the language that we use in relationship. And so I think that is so beautiful. I'm a dog mom as well. And I think that those relationships are some of the most important ones that I've ever had in my life, my relationships with my dogs. So yeah, dogs are pretty, they're a pretty intimate reflection for me of, it's like, there's the relationship with the dog. And then there's also the relationship with the inner dog. So he's both my dog and a symbol of my relationship to my own inner dog. So I love also that those layers of, you know, sometimes it's just a dog, but (laughs) sometimes it's also about yeah, the dog within that I'm like, when you talk about that, are you talking about sort of like, I am going to now like Clarissa Pinkola Estes, like the, the wildness, like the sort of inner wildness, right? Yeah. That makes sense to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because when my dog freaks out and goes, goes crazy or whatever I get, I am in a state of anxiety because I feel like I'm out of control, but it's really not about the dog. I, and that's what I realized that day when I had the freak out on him, I was like, wow, my reaction is not about this dog. This is about me. It's something that I need to heal inside me that has a a wounded relationship to power and aggression and expression of anger. Like this is a signal that I have some work to do. Like I need to work on myself here. And then the dreams were offering symbolism for me to work through. That makes so much sense because from what I've learned about dog training, and I'm using air quotes as I say that, from what I've learned about dog training, so much of a dog's behavior really has to do with their sort of energetic reaction and response to what's going on with their human. Yep. (laughs) And so it's like, they're holding up that mirror for us. Just like you said about here are the things that I, here are the things that I need to work on. (laughs) And I'm sure you're a parent. I am not, but I'm sure that you would agree that kids do that too. Here's the mirror here. (laughs) Here you go. (laughs) Yeah. That's a whole other topic. We don't have time. My daughter, (laughs) yeah. My daughter as symbol. Yeah. It's, it's pretty intense. Like you opened it with this observation that you know, it's the I and thou relationship, right? I mean, in our dream world, we're just, we're yeah. so, it's such a relational place. And really that, that is why I love dream work is that everything in my dream is me and I'm everything in my dream. And we're just constantly finding those connections and the things that fill our lives and are reflections of us, but are also their own people's too. You know, it's both and. It's both and. This morning when I do my own meditation and I pull a tarot card each morning, I pulled the world today and I was wondering, oh, wow, I have this interview coming up. I wonder if that has to do with it. And yes, the world is all about that constant flow between I, thou, within and without. Like, yeah, everything in my dream is subjective. It's me. It's about me. And it's about everything outside of me. Like it's, yeah, it's both, which is why it's so fun and endlessly fascinating. I can't believe our hour is already pretty much up, but I would love to hear more about where listeners can find you, work with you. How can they get involved if they want to do some dream work with you? So please tell us about that. So I have a brand new website and it is simbodythedream.com. Basically the word simbody, just very briefly, is a kind of portmanteau word between symbol and embody. Love that's really what I am trying to do is like help people embody their symbols 
And it's so connected to, yeah, the, the sort of power objects that our dreams surface for us that become ways that we can move through the expression of our deepest longings and desires as artists. And I guess I think of everybody as an artist in their own way. So I work with artists uh, who want to work on their symbols and in, in a sort of ceremonial, playful way. But I bring both this embodied, grounded practice of just like feeling into our bodies and how we work with the, those symbols and embody them. But also I bring years of experience of looking at like the micro details and students' essays to try to understand all the relationships and concepts and dynamics and symbols and da 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 da. So it's like I bring sort of that actual understanding, but I balance it with that grounded, heart-centered, soulful, let's get with the earth kind of vibe. And I think exactly special magic is that like synthesis of those two things. That is fabulous. Wait, so you were an English teacher? Is that right? I'm an English teacher. Yeah. I have a master's in poetry from the University of Arizona. And that's kind of how I got my teaching job, weirdly. Fabulous. I later, but <laughs> I got into the classroom as a poet. So, yeah. You have such a way with words, Taylor. I have to read this quickly for the listeners. This is just from your website. And I just love your phrasing here. So you say, the dream is a trail through psyche wilderness. I am made of crumbs you dropped for yourself to find. Will you trace your torn bits along the paths of moss and mud, of cracked earth and dust? Will you track your precious clues among the ruckus and royal of the life tumble you've forgotten yourself in? Yes, please. I want <laughs> to do all of those things. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. Thank you. That's yes. So yes, listeners, check out Taylor's website. It's fabulous. It's beautiful. Now you run like a sort of a dream discussion community as well. Is that right? Yeah, I'm also, yeah, starting an, a mighty network community. So I would love to get more people joining that. And my goal for that is to offer some monthly gatherings. So once we have enough folks that are joined, then we can start gathering in circles. I have ideas about different types of circles. So I would love to be able to create uh, all of those with people. Dyads and triads is one idea I have, but also like a monthly circle. And then a, a series of circles that track the, uh, the different seasonal changes. Ooh. So storytelling circles uh, at the equinoxes and then I also think it's really important to be embodying a bigger dream beyond just our own. I mean, of course, our own individual psyche relationships are super important and, and special and powerful, but it feels like there's a bigger dream that I want to help us <laughs> dream differently, dream into. And and there's there's so many dreams that come to us that aren't just necessarily a personal psyche dream, that they're actually dipping into those subconscious realms and we're reaching people on the other side of the planet. Yes. I, I want to, that I want to do more of. <laughs> and so it, that really requires a community. We can't connect the threads unless we're connected to others who are also dreaming and, and wanting to dream that way and opening to that. So I love that you brought this up because obviously we live in the United States. We live in a westernized, individualized nation. And you're talking about something so powerful, which is the collective and the community. And so, yeah, I really think that building those dream circles that are focused more sort of like outwardly and not just inwardly, I think that that's so beautiful and amazing. So I'm excited to see how that sort of rolls out for you. I think it's going to be great. Yes. Thank you so much, Jordan. I really appreciate this. Well, thank you for being here. And I'll be sure to link to your website, link to your YouTube channel. All those things for listeners will be in show notes. So keep an eye out for that and for Taylor's work. So thank you, Taylor. Blessings so much to you and all the listeners. Thank you so much. Thanks for being here. That's a wrap for this episode. Thank you again to my guest, Taylor Johnson. May your inner samurai continue to guide you on this new and exciting path. If you believe in this work and want to support the continuation of our show, please join us on Patreon. There we are building a community where you'll find bonus dream work exercises, guided meditations, community events, and so much more. The link to join is in our show notes. 
and extra special shout out to our newest patrons, Missy and Michelle. Thank you, thank you, thank you for keeping the magic alive. Don't forget, if you leave a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, you'll be automatically entered into a monthly contest to win a free 20-minute shadow work tarot session with yours truly. But please subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcasts. It truly makes a difference and helps other people find the show. Do you have questions or a dream you want to share? Please drop me an email at psychemagicpodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave me a voicemail via the link in show notes. I'd love to hear from you. And you could be featured on a future episode. You can also follow us on Instagram at psyche underscore magic. Check out my Psyche Magic playlist on Spotify. Link is in show notes. Psyche Magic was produced and recorded by me, Jordan Hale. Editing for this episode is by Misuzu Inaga. Our theme music is by Young Summer. Artwork is by Annika Murphy. Special thanks go to Grace Fuse and Daniel Higby. You can check out information about this and other episodes on our website, psychemagicpodcast.com. Psyche Magic is available via Anchor across all podcasting platforms. Thank you so much for listening. I'll leave you with a question. If you must sleep through a third of your life, are you willing to sleep through your dreams too? Get your dream journals out, y'all. Until next time. <laughs>